many first responders that I talk to that have a hard time taking a step back because their teams need them and their crews need them and their communities need them. And that is also very true. And your being human means that you deserve the space and the time to recover, to heal, to process. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Welcome back to this very special edition of the EMS One Stop podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and we're breaking with our normal program of podcasts to talk about what happened in the United States this week. Uvalde, Texas, uh, currently 19 children, two adults, uh, sadly perished in an active shooter incident at the Robb Elementary School. The country is grieving. And the one thing I don't want to do in this podcast is get into a stop the bleed discussion. I don't want to talk about how we prep our MCI plans. I want to talk about us, the people, the EMTs, the guys and girls that are on the trucks right now. And to help me have that discussion, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Nicole Holm, who's the chaplain for Alina Health EMS, and a returning guest uh, who's always very welcome, Mike Tegman. Guys, welcome and thank you for joining me at such short notice. Thank you for Absolutely. having Absolutely. Yes, thank you for having me. Nicole, or should I say Chaplain Nicole, this is a day where we are really, really lost for words, but what words do you have for us? I tried to put words to this experience myself last evening and... All I came up with was being speechless. And when I'm speechless, generally speaking, I think that's because a deeper part of me is has the words or has the experience. And so I might say that this is a time to drop into our full selves and to honor what ourselves are telling us. So whether or not the urge is to scream or the urge is to cry or the urge is to Hold your loved ones to follow the longings and the needs of your whole self, your body, psyche, and spirit, and let them lead you in a time when words just simply aren't sufficient. Those are amazing words, and thank you for starting us off that way. One of the things I said in the article I just penned, of course, the demographic of our EMS staff, our providers, are that they're either young enough to have children themselves or you know, let's face it, we're not getting any younger, we're old enough to have grandchildren. And so this is not just centred in, or the feeling of this isn't just centred in, of course, in in southern Texas, it's everybody connects with this, everybody is feeling this, everybody is in pain from this. And EMS providers, and I hope this doesn't happen in Texas today, because of course, tomorrow, people have to go back and start delivering EMS all over again. And we have to be strong to do that. But how can we regain that strength to carry on after something like this happens? Oof, yeah, that's a hard one, right? We know that we carry stress uh, in our nervous systems, we carry it in our cells, and there's lots of things that we can do to try to relieve some of that. So again, it's embracing those we love, it's processing, talking it out, expressing our emotions versus numbing or blocking. It's doing things that... Um, if at all possible, bring some lightheartedness, um, some laughter, something to relieve some of that pressure. 
movement. So whether or not that's running or dancing or biking or hiking, um, getting in the water, whatever helps us to release cortisol and adrenaline and all of those things um, that build up in our in our systems in a time like this. Um, those processes are going to not be done in the next 24 hours, but the more, especially for our EMS providers who, as you say, do have to keep going back to work, the more that they can find little outlets to do some of those things in the, in the hours after an event like this, mm-hmm. in the days after an event like this, the more likely they're going to be able to continue on in their day-to-day expectations and their day-to-day lives. Mike, this is actually a resiliency dialogue we're having here. And, uh, and of course, I must note that we, we have these discussions, you and I, uh, on, on the First Watch channel. Uh, so I guess this is kind of a crossover podcast. But in terms of resiliency, in terms of where people are now and in terms of building that resiliency, you know, what sage advice can you offer us? Um, well, first off, I, I, I absolutely agree with everything that uh, Nikki has suggested. Um, and, you know, for me, there's, there's a few pieces that, you know, the first is that even even if you, you know, weren't on scene, didn't run the calls, you know, don't know personally anybody that's uh, involved in this uh, latest massacre, you know, there's a there's a sense of, of grief that I certainly feel, and I think that a, that a lot of people feel. And there's there's something healthy from my perspective about kind of being a good griever, which is a really weird set of words to say. But for me, I experiencing it as is you know letting the grief kind of move all the way through me. Um, so that if I, you know, need to cry, need to wail, you know, whatever that is, is to, to, you know, find a safe space. You don't want to do this when you're driving, you know, your EMS rig down the road or anything like that, but, you know, a safe space where you can be alone or be with somebody you really trust and just really let the emotions really rip all the way through. And my, my experience has been no matter how intensely sad I feel that, you know, they come to a kind of a natural pause or, or stopping place. And I, and I find if I, if I don't try to try to buck up and, you know, hold it together and, you know, put on a happy face and, you know, kind of do those things that are kind of denying letting the feelings live in my, my system that I, I, I get to, you know, some kind of next place, not necessarily the other side, but some kind of a next place faster for me. So I'm finding a spot to really allow yourself to to grieve, you know, whether it's the, just the, you know, loss of innocence, the loss of life, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, kind of pops into pops into your, your brain and in your heart around this, I think is an important first place. And then from the, you know, the concept of, I mean, how, how does anybody prepare to take care of a bunch of, of you know, children that are the age of my 10 year old son? Um, who've been shot when they're at school. That's, you know, that's a, you know, too much for most of our brains to comprehend. Um, but there is a, there is a neuroscience practice called crisis rehearsal where, you know, you basically kind of close your eyes and, and you do it in a way where you kind of imagine yourself being the, being the responder on the crisis or even, you know, horribly being the, the parents in a situation like this and kind of, you know, imagining how things might unfold um, with you in in control, feeling safe, 
and and really managing the situation so that you're you know you see yourself pulling kids out of harm's way, treating them successfully, dealing with the families and just kind of really practicing that whole thing in your mind, you know, allowing yourself to feel some of those emotions. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting neuroscience research that um, practicing things mentally improves your performance later on, improves your resilience, makes it less stressful for you because it's like, oh, this is something I've done before, even if it's only been something I've done in my mind. Um, one research study that kind of caught my attention early on around this is they had a bunch of high school basketball players and they divided them in half and half of them practiced shooting hoops for uh, 30 minutes every afternoon for 10 weeks. The other half of the group closed their eyes and imagined shooting hoops uh, for a half hour every afternoon for 10 weeks. And at the end of the day, when they tested them, uh, the ones who imagined shooting hoops were actually better hoop shooters than the ones who literally practiced it, which is interesting. So um, this is one way to one way to build resilience. And I've got a, a couple of other thoughts, but I'll, I'll let you uh, let you go on with your your interview here and conversation a bit. No, thank you for that, Mike. And what I should say that if you're listening, uh, because Mike and Nicole have appeared on many EMS One webinars, articles, etc., we're going to link all those things in the show notes. So anything that we talk about, uh, anything that these guys have said, you can actually click into and, and either read or listen to stuff that's gone on before. So whilst this may well be a short podcast, of course, the references and those things that will help you cope will be there. Nicole, I'm, I'm an ex-military man, and for 20 years of my life, I was the person that always loved to see, as we call them, the padre or the chaplain arrive, um, whether it's uh, in training, whether it's on operations, whether it's just to you know check up on us. But what is the role of the chaplain in EMS if an organization doesn't have one? What are they missing out on? You know, to answer this question, I like to think of what kind of the word chaplain itself, where it comes from. And my understanding is the Latin word for chaplain is a cappella, which can translate as cloak or little cloak. And I won't get into it for time's sake today, kind of where that connection came from. But the idea is that a cloak, and in terms of a chaplain, is something that shares coverage in the storms of life. So that a chaplain is one who shares coverage in the storms of life. And specifically in EMS, that means the storms of EMS. And as we all know, those storms can be very varied um, from unfortunately the worst of the worst, like we're dealing with this week, to routine calls gone badly, to calls where, and for everybody else, it seemed like a normal everyday calling. Yet for us, it was personally triggering because of our personal history. Um mass casualty events to motor accidents to pediatric calls, all of those different storms. And sometimes the storms are difficulties with leadership or feeling lack of support, lack of validation, lack of compensation, just long hours, all of those various pieces. So my role as a chaplain and the role of chaplains in EMS specifically, unlike chaplains in almost all other settings, except for perhaps the military, like you named Rob, are generally focused on the patient. And in EMS, my role is, I would say, 90% staff support and only 10% patient support. Thank you for that. And uh, as I say, I'm a fan is the wrong word, but I believe that that there is a place for the chaplaincy in every organization. And whilst some may not agree with that, I think that, uh, you know, the pastoral care that you're providing to us is something that we absolutely need. 
Mike, we, we talked about the chaplaincy there, and obviously, you know, there are there is critical incident stress management, there are debriefing techniques and principles. But if you were starting from scratch in an organization, you had a blank sheet of paper and you had to put something in place that prepared us all to deal with this. What who and what would you put in place to, to get everybody ready? to go out and do what we do? It's a, a big question. And just before I answer it, I want to reflect that if anybody ever does start a chaplaincy fan club, I would like to be a member of the, the chaplaincy fan club. I think it's a, it's a wonder, wonderful service in the chaplains. And I've so seconded, sir. So seconded. Right. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a big question with potentially a lot of complex answers, but you know, as a, as a place to get started, the, you know, kind of protecting the mental, psychological, emotional health of your team is—it's really a—it's a—it's a cultural issue um, where the places that that do it best, kind of everybody takes care of everybody, so that everybody everybody feels connected. Uh, loneliness is identified and and intervened on where people are connected, and there's a there's a recipe that um, Dan Siegel, um, who's the uh, chief of psychiatry at UCLA Medical Center and the, the founder of the Mindsight Institute describes to, to help people feel secure because in a, a situation like this, as in many situations in EMS, there's a feeling of being untethered and a feeling of, of being vulnerable and, and insecure um, that maybe normal people don't don't experience as much in their world. And uh, his, his recipe is is basically seen, safe, soothed, equals secure. So you start off by making sure you know everybody on your team is is seen, and that's and that's that's you know really being connected with for who they are and accepted for uh, who they are, whatever they bring. And this you know this you know brings up all the all the issues around, you know, racism and sexism and transphobia and, and those kinds of issues we're dealing with in our world and, and being seen and accepted, you know, part of the antidote to that and part of um, helping build your resilience. If you know that you're connected with, that you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, um, it, 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 it helps that, that safety is addressed. So, you know, whether it's, you know, safety from, you know, vehicle crashes or training with SWAT teams to be able to, to manage uh, situations like happened in, in Texas in a way that preserves the, the most life that's available, you know, concealable soft body armor, you know, whatever those kind of structural aspects of safety are, are important for leaders in our industry to provide for folks. And the last one is is for folks to be soothed. And when they are emotionally upset, um, psychologically upset, you know, that, that hug, that, you know, that pat on the back, that let's come over, let's talk for a few minutes, you know, recognizing suffering in others and responding with uh, compassion. You know, so empathy is the recognition of the suffering and compassion is that taking action to soothe um, people who are suffering, um, building that into the into the culture so that um, that that people collectively take care of each other by making sure everybody is seen safe and soothed it it provide builds a more resilient organization and more resilience for individuals and more resilience for uh, for the 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 team as a whole does that does that make sense it does and thank you for that before I come back to you Nicole let's just take a second to have a message from our sponsor 
Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Back on the podcast with Nicole Holm and uh, Mike Tegman, um, and we've had a very meaningful discussion so far. Nicole, you're the padre. Sorry, that's the old Englishman in me coming out. You're the chaplain for a very large system in Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. What other facilities, if you like, other than you, do you have in place for the for the guys that when they come in with having experienced, you know, even a minor traumatic episode? Absolutely. I think our first uh, point of contact for an employee who's needing some extra support is their direct leader. So often that's their direct supervisor. It could be a manager. It could be the manager on duty. Um, Perhaps their supervisor isn't on duty. But our leaders who will often respond to more difficult or bad calls themselves and or the first person to hear um, when one of our employees has had a more traumatic incident. Um, and so, and we've learned a lot about in terms of building trust and rapport and everything that Mike just said about soothing and fe- making people feel seen and safe, that our leaders are hugely, hugely significant in that response of making our employees feel secure. And so at the moment, we're trying to do a lot with our leaders um, in the ways that they respond to our employees. In addition, we're really blessed to have two therapy dogs, Evie and Weston, who will come not necessarily on site to a call, but will come to a base afterwards. So they'll come that day if they're able, if somebody kind of raises a hand and asks for that request. And if they're not able um, to maybe set up a time, for instance, we had one of our dogs requested to our dispatch center not too long ago because of something that they were collectively dealing with. And we found that that in itself, you can just feel when the dog enters the room, the whole energy shifts and um, releases some oxytocin. And it's just a a soothing resource that we've been able to provide. It also, um, the dogs can really help in terms of, you know, sometimes just the day to day at the bases that the dogs hang out at when employees are getting off shift. um, We found and we've heard that some people just take five, 10 minutes to throw with one of the dogs and that in itself shifts their kind of energy enough, their attitude enough, how they're doing enough that they go home feeling a little bit more kind of recalibrated. We also are blessed, um, you had mentioned, I think, EAP earlier. Not everybody has an employee assistance program, but we we do, and we're blessed with two providers specifically designated by the larger um, insurance system that we contract with that are our line of healthcare uh, EAP providers. And they've really, knowing that, surprise, surprise, EMS makes the majority of the EAP calls and needs within our system, they have made it a point to come out to bases to do ride-alongs to get to know our employees so that when there is a need, our employees don't feel as if this is somebody who doesn't get what I do. We've had a lot of feedback over the years that when our employees have saw, unfortunately, saw counseling out in the world on their own, they've left feeling like they traumatized their therapist or they traumatized their counselor, that their counselor wasn't equipped to handle what they see and hear and do every day. 
And so our optum providers are really, our EAP providers are really trying to help um, decrease the prevalence of that. So I would say those are kind of our top. Um, in general, we have a, re a well-being committee that is always trying to look for new and um, creative ways to support our employees, but those are our top resources. Two quick canine points before I go back to Mike, but uh, I was recently at the AAA Stars of Life, and the star of the show, without a doubt, was in fact GMR's therapy dog that, that showed up, and uh, that was very good to see. A friend of mine, Chip Decker, was one of the very first first responders to the Pentagon on 9-11 and uh, one of his abiding memories, and he's told me this a number of times, was things that you see, but actually the abiding memory was that the therapy dog came along and everybody just had a chance to stop, decompress, hug the dog. And so even this far on from 9-11, that was one of his memories, and uh, I think that's a, a really good point. Mike, you've been that leader. And uh, in the article I just wrote, I talk about, you know, today is a day for MBWA, getting out management by walking about. If you're back in the corner office, Mike, what are you going to be doing today? Well, get out of your office, uh, find your dog, find your chaplain, and go connect with folks. Um, and by the way, if there's ever a fan club for chaplains with dogs, um, that's def I want to be president of that uh, particular fan club. I, and again, I'm of the year. personal experience for, for for me personally, all dogs are therapy dogs. You know the the thing that's that's interesting um, when when walking around with frontline folks during situations and times like this. Many people, especially when they're on duty, um, are uh, you know a little little resistant um, to you know don't ask me how I am. I'm fine, and fine. Some sense stands up for effed up, insecure, needy, and emotional. Um, but you know, they're, you know, it's like they're, they don't necessarily want to talk about themselves, but when you open up conversations about what can you do to support your partner, many, if not most of our colleagues have, have family, they've got parents, they've got, you know, spouses, significant others, they've got kids, all of whom are also watching the news also whom are, you know, seeing ambulances and fire trucks respond on TV and thinking that, you know, their spouse could, could be like that, or their, you know, their kids are at risk going to school. So, in you know, in addition to taking care of yourself and your colleagues, you know, reminding, reminding people to, you know, check in, check in with your, your family, you know, or, you know, are your parents extra worried about you today? My, you know, I, I would, when I was working in the streets, I would sometimes forget about that. And then I would talk talk with my mom and she would have, you know, seen me on the news going to a, a police shooting or something or another and, and be all worried for my safety, even though I was fine. And it was just a normal call for me. It just happened to get caught on TV that they, they have an impact. So, you know, we have, sometimes people are more open to encouragement to take care of others and, and, and vicariously, they get a little bit of the the benefit of that care for themselves. Before we go any further, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, and uh, enjoying is probably an interesting word today, but if you are enjoying the show, please take a moment uh, to rate us on the platform that you're listening to us on. Thank you. Final thoughts, guys. Uh, obviously, it's a tough day, particularly in Texas, and it's also a day of reflection for anyone that's out there in the public safety world. You've got the, the microphone, and I want you to talk to the people that are listening right now, and I'll start with you, Mike. I just uh, I encourage you to, to just pause for a second and take a full, deep breath 
feel your feet on the ground, wiggle your toes a little bit, and think of think of somebody in your life that you love and care about, and just send them uh, wishes of safety and compassion and love. At times like this, our our connection uh, with others, or if you've got a higher power with that, you know, however that works for you, um, is is powerfully supportive and what what I think most of us need. Thank you, Mike. That was exceptionally calming. Nicole. Yeah, I just want to add on to that uh, a thank you. A thank you for being the people that show up. The people that show up to our emergencies and when we need you most for walking into these situations provide care and competence and compassion. And amidst that process, my invitation and my hope is that you don't forget to take care of yourself. Um, I know how many first responders that I talk to that have a hard time taking a step back because their teams need them and their crews need them and their communities need them. And that is also very true. And your being human means that you deserve the space and the time to recover, to heal, to process So I hope that you are surrounded by people in your life, within your system and outside of your system who see you and who are there to shore you up and are there to provide a safe place to land in such times as this. And I hope that you give yourself the permission to respond to yourself with compassion and grace and nurturing and to ask for the things you need when you're not getting them. Amazing. So, ladies and gentlemen listening out there, this has been a Resilience Dialogues crossover edition of the EMS One Stop podcast. Um, my guests, Nicole Holm and Mike Tegman, thank you so much for your wise, calming and sage counsel. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to put all the contact details in the show notes so I don't have to ask these guys to uh, tell us where we can find them. We know where to find them. All of the references that uh, these guys have written in the past and all of the things we're going to talk about today are going to be available in the show notes so you can click in and read and listen and hopefully take something away. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been EMS One Stop. And until next time, bye for now. Bye for now.